Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro, and we're here now for part two on the topic of triggers and uh, or hot buttons or our vulnerabilities. Because if we don't understand them, uh, we become problems and create problems. Uh, or, and our team, we don't, we don't really understand how to relate to our team as well. So it's a huge topic. Uh, and so we're going to dig into part two here. Let me just make, again, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, this is now the week after the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course has been released. Uh, again, very exciting. Uh, the fruit of 21 years of work. It's a workbook, a daily office book, and a DVD. Uh, Jerry and I spent the last uh, year revising it. And uh, we had self-published here at New Life Fellowship uh, a 1.0 and a 2.0. We finally sold it to Zondervan so we could release it to the world and update it because the last uh, update was from seven years ago. And so we're very excited. Uh, it was a large year of uh, hard work, but it's got eight skills that have been proven the test of time in a multiracial environment like here at New Life Fellowship. And we've been actually doing these skills around the world for these uh, 21 years and uh, have been enormously fruitful. And you really can't do emotionally healthy spirituality uh, without these skills. It's the implementation or application of the theology uh, of EHS. And so again, let me encourage you to pick that up. Uh, and uh, you want to come to one of our live stream trainings that I'm doing every month uh, online. And you come with three people on your team, and we will train you and teach you on how do you actually bring this to your church. It's not a small group curriculum. It's actually a course, uh, a centralized course with small group components to it. So again, you got to uh, learn more about that. So again, go to under speaking at New Life Fellowship at emotionallyhealthy.org, our website, and uh, get some information. Again, www.emotionallyhealthy.org is the website. All right. So let's go in, just dig right into it now on triggers part two. Now, a little bit of review here. Uh, triggers are those things from our history, the messages we tell ourselves uh, from the first zero to 10 years of our life. We, we take in millions of miles of film footage and then we organize it in our brains and our emotions and thoughts get developed and our self-concept comes out of that. It becomes the lens through which we see life. Uh, we all have certain dynamics or core issues inside of us uh, in our broken, sinful world. And what happens, we, unless we mature and do our inner work, uh, we end up just reworking it, playing it out over and over again into our present adult experiences. So it could be anything as simple as rejection, abandonment, uh, constantly being put down and criticized, feeling invisible or incompetent or dumb or impotent, uh, you know, just not able to do anything. And so what happens is when you get close to people emotionally, like on teams or in marriage, uh, these underlying feelings get, things get triggered that have not been properly healed up and we end up being crippled. And, and so these, 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 we, these past emotional experiences tend to repeat themselves and sustain themselves throughout life. And again, especially in intimate uh, relationships. So to think of like getting report cards, you know, in, in one family, you know, kids get criticized and maybe beatings all the time for not getting perfect scores on their uh, report cards. Why wasn't it 100%? Two children, one becomes a CEO driven to be perfect, the other becomes a drug addict. But both have a similar message inside of them. They just play it out differently. Uh, and again, a guy feels unloved. I'm not lovable is the internal message. So unconsciously does things to get fired uh, and doesn't even know how to change the pattern. Again, I mentioned last week, Jerry has never rejected me, but I felt rejected many times. And um, uh, again, going back to rejection, which is one of my core messages I took inside of me, 
And so I would interpret rejection uh, in all kinds of things that she would do as a, as a close uh, relationship. And again, it's interesting. One of my uh, core early scripts that I had was, you don't know what you're doing. And that was a message I heard from my mom all the time. My mother was very negative. And uh, whether it's fixing a car, playing on the baseball team, you know, going to a certain college, planning a church, you name it. It's just, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. And that was coming out of her own history. And so that, I took that message deep inside of me. And so, so often I'll find myself, uh, uh, I have to remind myself, uh, oh my gosh, because I, 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 that, that's not true. You know, like I go back to 1 Samuel 17, I've killed the lion and the bear. And just like David said, uh, the Lord who delivered me from the lion and the bear will also bring down Goliath. And I have to remember, that's not true. I don't know what I'm doing, but I could feel it in my body. You know, I say to someone, can you straighten the chairs after the meeting? And what they hear is, he's criticizing me, or I'm not good enough. Uh, and so, again, I feel some people feel stupid on the inside. So what they do is they get another degree, or they learn everything they can on the internet, anything to not look stupid, versus being an integrated person that says, I, I know a lot about certain things, but I don't know a lot about everything. Uh you know, again, we go back to what we know. We go back to what we're familiar with. And so, you know, I've been rejected in my childhood. And so I feel like you're rejecting me. So I have an attitude. I say, get lost, you know. You know, the elders fire me because uh, I do something inappropriate. I project and I say, the church shoots its wounded. And I create behaviors where you have no other choice but to fire me. It's so funny. You know, I, I go home tonight and I really want a hug from Jerry because I'm really feeling bad. And I don't say, honey, I need a hug. What I say is, you never hug me. And it's my way of protecting myself, a way of surviving when I was young, attacking. The problem is it's not biblical, it's not loving, and it creates always more problems. And you hear statements like, he always or she never, and the community is never there for me. But really the question is, how do you distance yourself from the community? And what do you get out of that? And how that play out in your family of origin? So the question is, what do I do? How do I move through this? So listen, I'm, this is, I'm going to give you about four or five things here that uh, we're sitting across the table here in this podcast. Uh, this is not a, uh, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm a pastor, a discipler. But I'm taking you the next level of genogramming your family uh, that, again, you've read about in the leader book. It's in part of the courses. But here's, I believe, some steps every pastor, leader uh, needs to take. Number one, do your own work uh, in, in your discipleship. Fill in the missing pieces of your discipleship with, with, with uh, I believe, the, the content of the emotionally healthy discipleship courses, uh, doing things like your genogram is critical. Having a good theology of going back to go forward is critical to launch on this journey. Uh, for me, it was life-changing. And you've got to then saturate yourself with the gospel and recognizing that, okay, I'm, I'm a sinner and I'm a saint. Because you do your work of discipleship, uh, I have strengths, I have weaknesses. I'm competent in some things. I'm not competent in everything. I can be kind, I can be hurtful. I can be hardworking, I can be lazy in other areas. I can be smart, I can be not smart about other things. I can be warm and friendly, I can be cold sometimes. I can be loving, I can also have some bitterness. I'm a sinner, I'm a saint. In other words, I've got to become an integrated person uh, so I'm not trying to hide uh, my vulnerabilities from people. See, some people live in a, in a defense mechanism that's all or nothing. It's me against you. I can only show you my strengths. The grace of the gospel enables me to be fully human. I can be true to my whole self, sinner and saint. The gospel gives me grace to look at my shadow side. Uh, I don't use my faith to hide from my humanity. You see, if you're split within yourself and that you can only look at your uh, positive traits out of fear or whatever, uh, we are far from the kingdom of God. 
So again, number one is do your work in discipleship. And in that process, saturate yourself with the grace of God and the gospel who loves you in all of your complexity. That's why we never idealize people because we know that everybody has great parts and broken parts. And uh, so do your work in discipleship. That's number one. In fact, uh, you, you know, part of the reason I, in working with leaders and even seminaries, I came to the conclusion that I'm trying to help leaders with all this leadership material, but I recognize they have gaps in their discipleship and that we've got to address basic gaps in discipleship uh, of leaders before we attack or really address the large leadership levels because leadership is a high level application of discipleship. And so again, do your work in discipleship on a regular basis. That's number one. Number two, become aware of your particular anxieties or reactions or triggers. Uh, and and you're always, and thus you're always working on yourself first. So uh, you've probably heard the term, comes out of a Freud from you know decades ago of tra- transference and counter-transference. You know, think of how many affairs happen. What happens, here I am, this pastor, or I'm a leader of a corporation, and uh, some young lady, uh, looks at me, and she doesn't see me. She sees, she projects on me this ideal guy who knows everything about God, and, and she projects that I'm awesome. I don't have flaws. All she sees is my great side. And uh, and so she sees me almost as an object. She doesn't even see me. She sees an object, and she thinks I'm phenomenal. And then I go home, and my wife is ignoring me. She's criticizing me. And so, uh, and I have all this unresolved feeling unlovable. Here's a person who loves me like I'm a god. And so she transferred to me all her unresolved issues of her past. And then because I'm so unaware uh, and I'm in such need of love, and uh, I think, my gosh, she, 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 and I counter-transfer to her, all, meeting all my unmet needs. And before you know it, you're in an affair. And uh, so we've got to manage, uh, our, become aware of when we're distancing ourselves from people, when we're triangling, when we're... Uh, you know, when, when, we're, when we're being, our, our bodies having convulsions and we've got to become reflective, you know, and, and prayerful and begin things like journaling. And, and so it's really important that uh, you become aware of your triggers uh, and your, your, and your you know, overreactions. And that's why it's so important in our roles as leaders that we have mentors. We have therapists at times. I, I think, you know, therapists are experts at this, you know, spiritual directors, and that we're open to feedback. We're open to learn uh, because we are the ones in an organization. If you're the leader, uh, we are the ones that need to model health, love, non-reactivity, even when we don't feel like it. You have to understand some people will always use you as an object and they will unknowingly project their histories onto you. And so the question is, how do I b- help this other person break their cycle of defensiveness and unloving behavior? And you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to give you know you insight and give them insight and begin to name it uh, and help them on their journey. And we, because we want to create space where people can mature and develop new strength and, and new patterns. We want to be a healthy biblical community. That's why I say that if you're leading uh, the ministry, you want to be the most healthy person, most differentiated, uh, mature person, the least triggered. Jesus was never triggered. He was incredibly non-reactive. Uh, but we, we want to be able to be so solid in and of ourselves that we can be a, a steady, constant, loving presence regardless of what's happening around us. And we can help people break the cycle. Uh, so we can help people reframe and reinterpret and experience in a healthier way, uh, manner. So, see, people come to us uh, and they they are wondering, they don't think this uh, knowingly, but 
Does this person have the capacity to listen, to observe, to understand, and actually be emotionally safe? And we want to basically, let me give you an example. I've had people come to me and be nasty over and over again. I think of one guy who (laughs) was in leadership for many years and uh, I knew his history. And he would come at me like attack. But I knew underneath the attack was a very vulnerable, scared young boy, about eight years old. And uh, he would overwhelm people. And I would allow him to come to me. And then I would not get reactive. I would be gentle, vulnerable, but straight with him. And actually everything, his father was never able to be with him. And, And so over time able to help him break the cycles. You understand he had millions of miles of film in him of re- reacting poorly. He would ch- People would run away from him uh, and he would actually drive them away. He- he'd create a situation where you would run away from him. And I said, I'm, I'm going to disciple him by being a steady presence and not and, and not let him trigger me. Because his trigger is triggering me and I then trigger him back and it's all a big cycle and we're off to the races. So again, number one, do your work on discipleship. Number two is be aware of your own anxieties and reactions and triggers and and make sure you're being reflective uh, and you've got some mentors or therapists or directors, people that are helping you through that process. Number three, you want to ask questions. Uh, you want to ask questions, really key. And when you find yourself tempted to be reaction, reactive, uh, you want to ask things like, you know, why is this important to you? Help me understand it. What are you thinking? Uh, but that asking of questions is critical. Uh, critical. I hated your sermon. What was it about my sermon you hated? Your leadership's awful, your, Pete. What is, it about my, what is it about my leadership that's awful? Not, it's not everything, but I'm able to ask questions, be non-reactive. Uh, Pete, you know what? That's really stupid. What was, it, what was stupid for you about that? But as people come to you and they try, in a sense, almost try to get a reaction out of you, ask question. Uh, when nobody's listening, we're in big trouble. I was just reading a biography of George Mitchell, Mitchell, former majority senator uh, in the Senate. And uh, he uh, wrote about Northern Ireland. He was involved in peace talks there. He said the great dilemma of Northern Ireland was nobody was listening. Everybody was talking. And his challenge was to get people to listen and actually ask questions. All right, that's number three. Number four, monitor the safety rating on your team every three to four months. In other words, how safe is your team? And how, what can you do to make it safer? And it's great to ask your team, how safe are we? You know, if I disagree with you, do you create safety? Uh, And we do that by not reacting or defending ourselves. Safety is created by dialogue. So someone says to me, Pete, you're an inadequate leader. And they say it in aggression. And I can say, well, tell me some areas where I'm inadequate. You never do this. And I ask, well, how did you experience that when I did that? I hate your sermons. What do you hate about them? Uh, Who cares what you think? Well, I care what you think. What what, what do you think? And and so again, a key factor for us in uh, leadership is in teams is creating safety for people. Uh, And if folks never had that growing up, never had it in other workplaces or churches, uh, it's one of the most important things we do. See, it's not just the content of what you're dealing with. It's the process of how are we functioning now as a team or as a group. Uh, and we do this by dialogue. You can, you know, it's interesting, ask your team, you know, what is one thing uh, I do that maybe makes it unsafe for you? And uh, oh, what do you think I don't do well? What I could do better? 
Uh, that's why 360s are so powerful to get feedback from folks because it creates a sense of safety. Uh, and, and fifthly, I, I would say understand the power of hierarchy. You know, hierarchy in, in terms of like there, there is a there's authority, the spiritual authority, but there's also a hierarchy in organizations and in, in families. You know, I uh, and you know I can I was the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship. I was under an elder board. If the elder board said to me, Pete, I want to report on Tuesday, uh, I didn't give it to them on Thursday or Friday. Uh, now, if I couldn't do it on, by Tuesday, I might ask them, say, was it possible I can give it to you Wednesday or Thursday? I've got three meetings, blah, blah, blah. But there are many, so, but I understand I'm under authority. The elder board asked me for a report by Tuesday. I give it to them. Uh, but folks who are passive aggressive or don't hand it in, uh, don't understand hierarchy. Uh, you, rec- you recognize when someone else has the call and you're not angry at them. And so I'm not, so I was able to step down from being lead pastor at New Life. Uh, and I no longer reported the, to the board. I reported to Rich, even though he was could be the age of my oldest daughter. Uh, but he was in charge. Uh, he he is the boss. He reports to the elder board, and I'm now a staff person uh, at New Life, and I've got a role. Uh, and now, emotionally, spirituality as a separate organization, I've got a board there too. Uh, actually, Rich is on that board, uh, which is good. But I re- everybody reports to somebody. Uh, but uh, but you see, when someone has problem with hierarchy, uh, folks above them, uh, that's that is an indication that something's going on in their family of origin. So you'll always want to uh, understand how hierarchy is operating in, in your organization uh, and make sure it's respectful. And when there's triggers, you want to go after them and dig it out. And then finally, you want to pray. You want to do this kind of work uh, of your triggers and your team's triggers because it puts ballast in the ship. Tidal waves hit teams. Tidal waves hit churches. And the depth of your uh, discipleship, the depth of your formation in Jesus— uh, for you and your team is going to all come out, and you've got to get some some ballast, some strength in that ship, so it can it can deal with the next tidal wave that's coming. Every church, every ministry, every organization, every leader gets hit by a tidal wave, and so let me encourage you, let me implore you, do the work of discipleship. It's hard work, but it will pay off when the tough times comes. Creating and uh, creating safety, one of the most important things you can do. Uh, for that day. So again, let me encourage you, go to our website, www.emotionallyhealthy.org. And uh, let me encourage you to uh, look at some of the, uh, our, our email list, uh, you know, become an emotionally healthy leader, sign up for that. And again, you want to dig into the emotionally healthy discipleship courses, uh, the relationship course and the spirituality course, uh, which have just been released. So great to be with you. Thank you very, very much. And uh, loving these podcasts and send me feedback at uh, info at emotionallyhealthy.org and I'd uh, be glad to hear from you and any topics you may suggest for me in the future. So thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.